My name is Ben Vallis. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Lots to discuss today. Primarily, what's going on with the Celtics? Offensively, defensively, culturally, it's all bad right now. Joining us, our New Zealand correspondent, Joe, aka Nosecrotes McFly. Joe, welcome back, man. How's it going? Good, man. Holy hecka. You just, Ben, you just switched on the energy right there. You went from being <laughs> Ben's usual vibe, which is sort of a chilled out entertainer. So it's 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 a Good Friday. Here in here in the Antipodes, and it's a sleeping day for everybody. And Ben's just come out <laughs> absolutely all guns blazing. How you been, man? We haven't had you on in uh, in a month or two. So how's life? Um, I've worked probably. This is great, great content for the podcast listeners, I'm sure. Um, but I've just been working really hard, man. Really hard. We've got a 31 March deadline tax here in New Zealand, so um, so I was busy times. Hard, going pretty hard trying to sort it. And there's a Change of tax rate that just occurred uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah. spicy! Spicy, so that you know necessitated a little, a little, little tax planning. And so you pair that with how terrible the Celtics have been. It's pro- probably been a, a couple of really terrible months there for you, Joe. So the Celtics yesterday they suffered another loss in a very familiar style. They went down big to the Mavs. They clawed their way back, only to ultimately lose the game. Joe, it's been a while, like we said, since you've been on. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on this. So let's just start broad here and go from there. What's wrong with the Celtics? Um, I think it's a like this is. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe my opinions get a little kooky, but I feel like it's just this like spiritual malaise that they have. You know, mm-hmm. like I think that's at least a huge part of it, and that manifests itself in. Um, on the floor in ways that you can identify strategically perhaps. But I think, honestly, I, I don't think that they believe that this season's worth it. Like, I don't think they do. I don't, I don't, I don't sense. I think they're just waiting for the season to be over, to be honest. Um, now, only to turn it on in the playoffs or are they, are they going to give the playoffs up as well? Man, I don't see it, eh? Like, I just don't, I just don't, I don't see it from this team. I, I don't see, um, you know, we've had teams before where we've had similar patterns, except for the fact that they completed the comeback and like and actually won, or at least took the lead. You know, mm-hmm. like a, you, to, I've always had this 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 theory that you know it's not a comeback until you actually take the lead, and once you take the lead, you can actually lose it. But you, you know, it's sort of like there's a mental barrier that's broken. They never actually take the lead; they just kind of, they just kind of get to within five and. Maybe even two, like they did in the last minute, and it's just—I'm just a bit like, ah, so what? You know, like it, it's just—it's just as bad a loss as a ten-point blowout to me, to be honest. And so, what do you think the catalyst is for them just completely throwing in the towel this season? Is it—is it COVID-related? Is it the quick turnaround with the season running late last year, or where do you think this comes from? Because it's obviously—you know—there are a few teams like the Raptors, for example, who are also imploding. Um, but, you know, everyone's in the same boat as far as these different franchises and, and we're seeing, we're not seeing that same attitude repeated across, across the entire league. So why do you think it's impacting the Celtics specifically? Um, well, it's, it's hard for me to comment on the rest of the league. I'm, another thing I'm realizing is that I'm not so much of a fan of the entire league. Like I don't really watch anyone <laughs> other than the Celtics. 
it's just uh-huh. too much, right? Like you can't do it. You just can only a lot watch of highlights. There's an awful lot of content every night. <laughs> um, for the Celtics, I think like if I could put it down to a timing thing, I'd say it was. It wasn't actually the COVID thing. It was. Um, it was that West Coast trip they went on immediately after having that really close loss to the Lakers. Um, it, it felt like it turned on there, and and the and that's where we sort of that's where I felt like I identified. For me, at least, this pattern of get down behind, come back, don't quite finish it out. We had, like, like at that time, I think we lost to, like, Kings, the Jazz, and the Suns on that trip, all in the exact same way. It was just, it was, um, so I don't know what exactly happened about there, but, like, it's like they, um, like, they just kind of, I, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like, it's as though at that time, they thought that the that she'll be right, you know, like we are the Celtics. We've been a you know a, yeah. a fifty-one team for the last five years, and it's going to come through. Um, and then all of a sudden, holy, we're fifty games into a seventy-game season, and now nah, this is actually who we are. Like, we suck. <laughs> we, yeah, we we don't. But the trouble is, we don't suck. Suck, right? Like we've we we just we're just run of the mill mediocre. And that's yeah. who we are. We it's interesting are. you point out that Lakers game as the starting point because another uh, one was the Spurs game. Sorry, there's a bad loss in the, against the Spurs where we got up two, we got up yeah. by a couple positions, and then we just kind of like choked it away. Kemba did. Um, I think that was also on that maybe on that West Coast trip as well. I can't can't remember. Well, the Lakers game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when we lost Marcus Smart. That's when he busted right. his, his calf and he went out and. Yeah, I mean, we lost our, our biggest culture driver and probably our, our biggest defensive presence. And, um, you know, Marcus Smart's been back for a, a little while now, Joe, but he's been copying a bit of criticism from the fan base. Um, how, how do you feel about Marcus Smart since his return? I know you're one of the bigger Marcus Smart fans. I mean, we all are. Like our, our Google chat is literally called the Marcus Smart Appreciation Society. But <laughs> like, he's, been, he's been pretty frustrating to watch. So I'm just curious on, on your thoughts there, Joe. I, I certainly like have sympathy for that perspective. Like the um, like everybody else. Like I was on the chat with you when he he threw up that heat. Like when he thought the clock was down to the shot clock was down to point three seconds oh, on the Celtics. Man. Yeah, it was. It was. It's hard to just put into words how dumb that was. I'm I'm really struggling with superlatives. Like um, I'm tr- I'm just trying to think of of a time when I felt really stupid. I'll tell you a quick story actually. Okay. So, um, when I was sixteen, my dad sent me into town with a car and with with a car with a trailer on the back to go to this c- concrete block ma- manufacturing place. And um, I pull up into the in the I haven't driven with a trailer very much. I wasn't that confident a driver. And um, they put the concrete blocks on the back of the trailer, and I attempted to back this trailer out of the um, out of the concrete place and across the street and smack into the into the. Um, <laughs> into another car goes the trailer, right? Oh, I felt so such an idiot. And then they tell me, oh, there's, it's actually a loop. Like, you can just keep, you know, like the, 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 the place I went in, if you just keep driving along it, you would have, there was an exit on the other <laughs> side. Like, and I'm just trying to think back how awful I felt when I'd done something so stupid. Yeah. And then I was thinking, that was what I was thinking about with Marcus Smart at that point there. Like, what I did there was not even close to as stupid as what Smart did. With, no. Like, it's just, 
and I just wonder how that affects you. You're like, you know what I mean? Like you just, you know, when you do something really dumb, you catch a mistake you've done at work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, but well, smart yeah, and- was so stupid. Like, yeah, the magnitude of it and, and the, the scale and the, the visibility of it, um, yeah. I, just, I can't imagine in the moment. <laughs> and he tried to play it off as well, right? He kind of, you could see him saying to Kemba, like, no, nah, man, like, you know, we only had 0.3 seconds on the clock. I had to do it. And uh, yeah. I don't know if he, he realized it and he just tried to play it off or if he still didn't know after the fact. But um, it, it kind of captures the, the post-injury return Marcus Smart experience so far, I think. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't shot the ball well. Like, but with Smart, I'm definitely on the side. Like, I don't think he's playing different, personally. Like, it's the same dude out there um, who is whose style of play is exactly the same. And yes, he takes too many three pointers, too many bad three pointers. Um, but he is like. When people are talking about trading, I'm just like, that is exactly the opposite of the guy we type of guy we need to trade. Yep. It's just like we just need emotional leaders on the team, you know? Um, and you cannot like like Brown and Tatum just aren't. <laughs> they're just yep. they're just not. So um can't like just leave them in a sea of guys that are a bit kind of placid, you know? I did think that Prior to Kemba Walker's return, Marcus Smart, he, he sort of, he played like a modified version of Marcus Smart where he was a lot more pass first and more sort of setting the table and less jacking up a lot of these early shot clock boneheaded shots. And now since Kemba's come back and since subsequently Marcus has come back, he's kind of reverted to that more frustrating play style. Yeah. Um, do you think there's anything to that? Like it, it did seem like he was playing a slightly different style earlier in the season and now he's kind of reverted to, to bad habits. Or am I just in my head there? No, like, I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of, we're kind of, we're kind of shooting from the hip a little bit here. <laughs> you know, it's not like I've got the data to back this up, but, but no, I sense you're probably right. It, um, <clears throat> the entire team is really three happy right now, and um, Smart's definitely part of that. It's the, it's the, it's the part of his game I hate the most. Mm-hmm. It's actually the only part of his game I hate. Um, I love all the rest of it. So, getting back to trying to get a hold on what the hell is going on with this team, there was a post after the game yesterday by a Reddit user, PHX292. They go on to say, the Celtics didn't lose because they didn't have enough heart. They were creating good looks the whole game. And I'm not going to read out the whole post, but the to summarize, they're basically saying it's not a lack of heart. They actually are working to generate good shots, and it's just a, a matter of the shots aren't going down. And the solution is just to convert on those good looks and those layups. Does that ring true at all to you, Joe, or Hell is it no. as simple as just make your shots? I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to our correspondent here, but no. Like, we are not creating good looks. We're creating off-the-dribble three-point looks. We create no pressure on the rim. Look, the thing about offense and basketball is uh, you've got to put pressure on the hoop. If you don't do it, if you don't do that, like, nothing kind of works after that. Like. The thing about threes, right, that I sort of feel is overlooked in, in, with analytics is they, they just have this habit of going in when you earn them. Like mm-hmm. when you earn the attempt or when you earn the right for that three to go in, that three made threes come off the back of like strong effort plays. They don't come off the back of lazy plays. They don't come, and, and, to, and to be honest, throwing the ball to Tatum at the top of the key for a sidestep three is a lazy play. 
right? Doing that Kimber Walker high screen and roll, it's just a lazy play. They can get it any time they want. Yep. And, and, you know, that, that creates a kind of attitude that just affects. It's like, oh, we didn't try very hard that position. You know, there's no, there's no flow to it. You know, like there's no pressure on the rim and there's no kick out of the ball thereafter. There's no rotation for the opposition team. It's just kind of like, it's just pick up, man. Like, yep. it, you know, it's just, it's, it's BS. So no, I don't think we failed to convert on open looks. I'd expect us to convert a slightly higher percentage on the looks that we did have, but they're not good. Mm-hmm. We're just playing lazy basketball, man. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, a tweet by Kungu NBA, who's a really good yeah. sort of uh, selfish Twitter the follow. Uh, they wrote, the Boston offense is a lot of read and react, double drags into handoffs, into pick and rolls, etc. It requires five guys reading defenses and moving together. It's beautiful when dudes are locked in. It looks like people taking turns ISOing when it's not being run. I think that really, it kind of backs up what you've just said, Joe, and sort of captures the whole situation there that like we do have this system but it requires all guys to be completely bought in and it does require a lot of sort of dynamic reading of the defense as opposed to sort of running pre-scripted plays. Um, but it's just not working well, for our guys. Just, 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 just a little quick thing here. Like read and react is, read and react's not just like a descriptor. Read and react is an actual system. And read and react is all about pressure on the rim. Like the very first principle in the read and react offense is when you make a pass, you must basket cut. I see if all basket cutting, man. Yeah. Like what, what, what the Brad Stevens offense looks like, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, hmm, I don't know if a lot of power goes to the wheels here, mate. Like, think about what it looks like. You get Robert Williams, right? Robert Williams <clears throat> come up to the top of the key. He'll get, he'll get the, he'll get the ball. There'll be a handoff. If he misses the handoff. There'll be a guy will come and set a screen it's all east west action right like it's just not enough north south early early in the shot clock it's just it's just it's not enough pressure on the rim it's just it's just a whole lot of guys a whole lot of guys running dho's across the across the you know between in between the two slots it feels like um and and as a result you kind of it just like even when there's movement it's like it's not it's wasted motion it's it's wasted motion if you're not putting pressure on the hoop. Yeah. Um, w- watching, I just sort of spent a bit of time before the podcast, sort of watching. Um, but I'll watch what what ha- what Tatum kind of does. Um, and I don't think Tatum's doing what he's like, like. I think he's doing what he's supposed to do in the scheme. The guy just spaces to the corner like seventy five percent of the time. Um, that's probably his role. That's probably what. what what was what was called for in the offense, but he's just never in motion. Yeah. Um and um he's never in, it never seems like he's in motion. Particularly man, it just seems like like I say, it just just never seems to result in pressure on the hoop. Um and that's what I want to see. And I feel like that's what's sorry, I'm I'm renting now, but I feel like that's what Scal's often talking about, you know? It's pressure on the hoop on offense and pressure on the ball on defense. That's a sign of an aggressive team, and we just don't have either. Yeah, paint touches as well, Joe, which is something that you've brought up uh, numerous times You know, throughout the, the life of this podcast over three years or so now, that paint touches seem to be an important ingredient to a successful humming offense. Um, and you know, you mentioned we're going east-west. They're sort of the, they are zipping the ball 
around the perimeter of the three-point line, but we're not getting those those paint touches. And I think until we start to see that consistently, you know, we're not going to start to to generate the sort of open looks and the motion that, that one needs to get uh, to the cup. Uh, 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 if the ball's going around the perimeter, if these, I'm holding up my hand right now, podcast listeners can't see it. So if, I'm, if 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 the ball just goes around the perimeter, the def- the defense can just kind of like go like that, right? Yeah, like yep. that's why a switching defense was real easy against that stuff. Okay, when you've got pressure on the hoop, right? What happens is the defense has to go like that. It has to squeeze in and then go out. That's where closeouts come from. That's mm-hmm. where open threes come from. Those are the best things. Like really, the point of all offense is to generate a closeout, and the best way to do that is to you've got to get something. Get the ball into the hoop. That's got to collapse post- the day. Yeah, you got to collapse it. It's got to, it's got to, got to shrink and then have to pop back out. That's where it's at, it's, it's at its weak point. It's not at its weak point when it's just moving around in a circle. You know? Like it, it's, it's to be honest, switching's pretty easy. You know, if you know that there's no threat coming back. You know, there's no threat on you north south. Yeah, just on on your Tatum point a moment ago. I thought he was really good in the game from halfway through the third quarter onwards yesterday against the Mavs. Um, I think one of his, like, I think his dad came out after the game saying that was angry Tatum or mad Tatum. And he seemed like from a certain point of the game, about halfway through the third quarter, he just suddenly switched something on and he was able to get to the rim with ease. And he was driving with this sort of forcefulness that we don't normally see from him. You say that you know he can't be an, an emotional leader. And I think as he's currently constituted, I agree with that. But he did seem to have some sort of emotional drive behind him at that point in the game, probably because he was humiliated with being down so much. And it seemed like, you know, the amount of times that he was able to drive and get to the rim and, and finish or draw fouls, like it was very untatum like, but also very surprising and frustrating because, like, okay, you have the ability to do that. Clearly, that's something that you're able to do, why aren't we seeing that from you right from tip-off? Did you, did you notice a difference in Tatum's game there from sort of that point in the game onwards? Well, we started to close the gap, right? Like when I say is not, I mean it, is not emotional, is not an emotional leader. I mean, I, I'm trying not to be too like, um, but to, not to try and overly jump to conclusions about the future, you know, about what he can be or can't be. But the reality is, you know, he is not. Uh, uh, to, just to talk about the, the point that you have, um, the, the, the question they asked uh, directly there, Ben. Um, I think Tatum's uncomfortable driving. He always has been. Um, when you watch him drive, he's not. he doesn't have great balance. He often has his head out in front of his feet, right? Like, he's not that graceful. Like, Brown's a much more graceful athlete. Mm-hmm. And Brown's a much Brown has much better balance. Um, and Tatum, like one of the reasons why he picks up those offensive fouls for pushing his elbow out, is because he needs to do it to regain his balance. Like he's like, like it happened. He had one great play where against Dallas, this is in like the second quarter, I think. He um he hit corner with a pass, like he kind of drove, did the did the Hayward spin, and then dropped off the corner. Like that was another classic one. He has to go like that because he loses his balance. So he needs to learn to um, he needs to learn to generate contact while staying within himself. I think he needs to learn to use his shoulder a lot more effectively because he keeps reverting to this elbow thing. But that's because it's like he's trying to like sprint into the into the thing. You don't sprint into it. You like it's like you push through it. It's like the difference between like a deadlift and a jump. You know, deadlift mm-hmm. is like the slow squeeze, you know. You kind of got to do that with the contact. 
You know, you can't try and it's not like trying to it's not like a punch, you know? Um mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I get it's you. a different kind of force there. Um so he just needs he needs that, man. Like he really needs that because his it his points are just too like they're too finesse and they they're just gonna come and go. We we need consistent production. We can't just have him making shots when everything's going well. Mm. Yeah, interesting. So just quickly before we move on, Reddit user Gaga Kaba wrote, um, so on that Kongi thread about the, the issues with their offense, um, they wrote, we looked so good against the Bucks last week. Everyone was moving on a string. I don't know why they keep ISOing. They can't even get to the free throw line. So on that Bucks game, like they looked great. And it's kind of a callback to that first Reddit post that we called out where like, you know, th- this time they were just converting on those open looks and it resulted in a, in a pretty decisive win against the Bucks. So is that, an anomaly that Bucks game, or is there something that we can glean from that as far as how this team should adjust going forward? Or I'm just curious how how you feel about the Bucks game in contrast to everything else we've sort of discussed so far. Um, I just feel like it was just one one, and we won half as we won as many as we lose. <laughs> Simple you know? as that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, yeah. Look, look. If the Celtics had shot at a normal percentage last night, we probably would have won. But it yep. doesn't change the fact, right, that this team has established a pattern of play that is kind of consistent with a spiritual malaise. It's there's just there's no agree. They're not the aggressor, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, they're talented basketball players. They get paid millions and millions of dollars to do it occasionally, and in their case, one time out of every, you know, it once every other game, it will go okay for them, you know. Mm-hmm. But yep. it's just it's not it's not it's not meaningful. There's no, there's no future for this team, as as currently constituted. There just isn't. Like um, this season, at least, you know, it's just it's not going to happen, man. I'll keep watching and hoping, but I know what I've seen, you know. Yeah, I think I'm I'm there with you, Joe. Uh, speaking of their their constitution uh, or how they're constituted, how do you feel about the Evan Fournier signing or trade? So. I sort of thought that the biggest thing we needed was an emotional, like it's sort of an emotional catalyst, right? Like that's the biggest thing that the team needed. Then like passing, then like defense, and then like shooting, like kind of roughly in that order. Yep. And I sort of thought, ah, uh, look, for, for, for a start, like the, there's no way a trade can be bad when it's like two second round picks. Plus, I think you made the point, but you've also got to think how many second round picks did we pay to acquire the trade exception? From yep. from Charlotte, um, which was two, right? So I guess maybe one. So call it three second round picks. Well, we also gave up a couple in the Tice trade, and we had to, to move on from trade. Tice to free up some cap space. So um, so okay, but then so okay, so let's add those. Together. I didn't like the Tice trade. Um, it was I don't I don't you know I understand why the ownership wants to dodge a luxury tax on on a team like this this year, but I'm like, man, I just wonder what would have happened if we just paid Horford. <laughs> Like, oh, I just wonder yeah. <laughs> what the, the chain, the, the think about the dominoes, you know. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so the price was in a vacuum, the price was pretty good, right? Like, you can't complain about two second round picks of Evan Fournier. Um, I think he's the right sort of salary to acquire, right? Like, we need to acquire guys. I'm not worried about the expiring thing at all. Um, what I'm concerned with is acquiring guys that we'd at least want to use their bird rights for. Because that's what keeps, that's what allows us to move, you know, over the cap is, is acquiring those guys. Um, 
if we'd acquired someone like, say, Cole, like let's just say Cole Lowry was making, I don't know, $28 million a year, we wouldn't want to re-sign him for that number. So that would mean we'd used up, say, it's whatever we're willing to resign him for is actually what kind of the useful amount of salary is. And I think Evan Fournier, as, um, as for, the, for the player he's been in Orlando, is roughly worth the salary you know, that, that he's getting right now. So I was okay with that because that means we can effectively extend the life of the TPE, right? Yeah. Because it's salary on our books that we can trade. And also, like, the biggest problem for us was we never had exact change for trades right like mm-hmm. there was nobody making between 10 and 20 million dollars we just had like these max guys like Horford and 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 Hayward and, and Irving and then we had guys on their rookie contracts and you need change eh? you need the right change to make trades I said you know like otherwise you're overpaying mm-hmm. um and so to me he looks like like he's I would expect that he wouldn't be a negative value contract at 15 or 20 million dollars a year right Sure. Um, so I'm in favor of that acquisition. I just don't think it solves the problems for the team this year, really. Yeah, but it is, I mean, I agree. I don't think that the season can be salvaged in any way, but I do think that it adds a, a, one more notch to our belt as far as, okay, there's one more reliable rotation piece. And in a team that's floundering in the way that the Celtics are and a, and a team that has so many young first or second year players, you know, your, your Grant Williams, your Romeo Langfords, to have a vet, savvy 28-year-old vet on a sort of a mid-tier. So, he's, he's earning $17 million a year. We've got his bird rights this offseason. Um, so, he is retainable. I, I do think that is a net positive for this team and that we've got access to one more reliable contributor that we wouldn't otherwise have had access to. T- totally. Uh, and- oh, totally. Yep. Totally. So, segues nicely into this next post. This is by uh, user DoogeeD, and they say, this is early to say, but I'm looking forward to the offseason. And they go on to write, I can't think of a team that needs a roster reset more than the Celtics. I don't know what Danny Ainge will do, but it's clear that this team, as currently constructed, just won't get it done. So, Joe, what do you think the plan is for the offseason? What, what does the ideal offseason look like to you, and does it include an Evan Fournier re-signing? Well... Yes, I would have said I would have said so because that's what, like I say, that extends the effectively it extends our traded player exception, right? Sure. Um, what else though? Man, I do honestly wonder whether it's worth tanking right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Tatum like just had a bit of tendonitis. Like, and I hate that that that's where I've come to. You know, yeah, like. Truthfully, um, we're not good enough to do anything. Um, we need more talent. Um, and fortunately, we have all of our own picks going forward. Um, it wouldn't be the worst thing, man. It wouldn't be the worst thing. But I want to take all that back because we have the curse of IT to deal with. And I don't like, <laughs> I don't like, the, I don't like our chances of going into the lottery room with uh, with the curse of IT hanging over our heads. What if we send IT as our as our lottery representative? How good would that be? Or is that just we too him. We won't re sign you, but can you please go to the draft lottery on our behalf? Didn't he go in twenty seventeen? Wasn't he the the was he wasn't oh, he yeah. our rep with Mark I think Fox he went when we won? I think he went one year, yeah. It might have been that year. I wanna yep. look that up, but um and we ended up with Tatum, right? So it's clearly, clearly good luck. But that was before it, the it, curse. It is staggering to think about like what 
you know, like just the amount of things that have not bounced our way since trading IT. Like so yeah. many things. It's just, it's it's. I know this makes me a coke man, but like. <laughs> like I believe it, you know. <laughs> like at this point, it's hard not to believe. Like <laughs> it's just so clear. So many things have gone the exact wrong way. You know, starting with the Hayward injury, and <laughs> I'm even as superstitious to think. Like you mentioned, that Tatum is not confident at driving to the rim. Is it because he saw Hayward crush his ankle right under the rim in his very first NBA game? Like one could be forgiven for being hesitant to put yourself in a similar position by driving to the rim. If that was your first NBA experience, essentially, so I'm, I'm that deep into it. I think the the curse of the IT trade runs very deep and is, is still permeating through our roster to to this day. I know I bring this up a lot, but the other thing that people always forget to mention is the reverse protection. The Sixers offered us two picks: their number three pick that year, and the Lakers pick in the following year, which was reverse mm-hmm. protected. It was protected between. It was unprotected between five and ten. So we reverse protected it. If we had just not protected the pick in that year, we would have gotten the Lakers pick at 10, whatever it was, which was Mikhail Bridges or um, there was heaps of good guys. that give, they, they drafted Mikhail Bridges. He'd be kind of useful right now. Um, you know, and we're just like, if we hadn't have just been that greedy on that pick, man, that was like the one year the Lakers won 36 games or something like that. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. <Yeah. laughs> like, and we wound up with Romeo Langford out of that pick. <laughs> God bless cursed. him. God bless him. But it's probably not going to work out for Romeo. Um, it, even he's if he's an unfair, good. he's it's an unfair f- victim of the IT curse. Totally, it's not not his fault. Yeah, I, I honestly don't think so either, man. Like for all I know, Romeo Langford could really play, man. But you just don't get three years to prove it. Like roster spots are too scarce. You yeah. know, like they'll pick up his option, but is he really going to do anything next year? I, I don't. Anyway, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised to see him not in more trade discussions or even moved during the trade deadline because it, it could be that he's he has the most value now in in sort of the right. mystique and potential around what he could or should be as opposed to in a year's time where he's played you know hopefully sixty games and it turns out that he's he's not all that. Um, yeah, I was surprised yeah. they didn't move on from him, um, but you know I guess front offices are smarter than than me and can see that <laughs> see that kind of hype being built up by Danny Ainge potentially. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I wasn't in favor of the pick. There's one of the, I just didn't like the smell of, you know, I, I don't watch college basketball, so I don't really know it, but I just didn't like the, I just didn't like the pick at the time. Yep. Um, there are a lot of other guys I would have preferred. I like Grant Williams' pick, though, and that hasn't, you know, he's had moments, but it just, I, I guess the Celtics still need young talent, unfortunately, eh? You know? Um, Is Grant Williams part of the the young talent cluster? That you would hold on to, is he is he still promising enough for you to to not want to move on from him yet? Nah, man, I'd trade anybody <laughs> at this like, point. <laughs> absolutely anybody. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's all about who for, right? It's like what's what's on the other side of it. Well, you've got you've got to give stuff up. I think we had like a podcast at the start of the year where we talked about how like if there's gonna be this trade with the TPE, it's gonna mean that one of your favorite young players is gonna have to go. Yeah, you know, unless we got a situation like Fournier where they just kind of. They weren't going to resign him, and they gave him away. You know, they effectively did a sign and trade early, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, look, I, we got, anyone can be traded. You got to be willing to trade anyone. Um, and and I think that includes the two Js. Um, 
it's like I'm trying to be careful here, but like they are look if you have two all stars on your team, your team can't be a five hundred team. Two genuine all stars does not equal five hundred team. Yeah, we are a five hundred team. Ergo, we do not have two genuine all stars. Yeah, sure. So like. There's there's something in the alchemy there that just it just doesn't work that well. Um, doesn't mean that they can't play together with something else in the mix. You know, I'm not sure, but um, I remember I remember the start of the season. I remember thinking, you know, Haywood must have like looked at Charlotte and and compared the roster with Charlotte to the roster of Boston and thought, ah, it's kind of it's kind of around about the same thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. not like a, I'm not materially closer to a championship in Boston than I am in Charlotte, but in Charlotte, I get to play a little more basketball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and it's worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, it has, and um, and um, you know, thus far, if that if that was his assessment of Boston, he's kind of been proven right. You know, he's having way more fun. Yeah, and the Hornets, you know, they're swinging into Boston, I think, on Sunday or Monday. I'm pretty terrified of that game because I feel like it's it's going to be this <laughs> affirming loss where if Rozier and Hayward, no. you know, swoop in and just pound us into the rubble, that it's kind of like almost like the final death blow, <laughs> like just confirmation that everything we've done in the past two years has been completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, would you do the you're talking about the two all stars and, and being a five hundred team, would you do the the Brown for Beal straight up swap? If that you know, obviously we'd have to throw in a few little pieces as well, but if that mm. opportunity arose, would you pull the trigger there? If we were like if we were like eight games over five hundred, probably. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um Beal's just better, man. Like he's you know, he's always gonna be better than than Brown. Um but if we're eight games over five hundred, isn't that sort of to say we're on the right track with with the team as currently constructed? Yeah, actually, now I'm thinking. You know, we I'm kind of if if my rulers, you know, hey, if you've got two all stars, they should be good. Like I'm thinking Washington Wizards, right? Like they had two genuine all stars and they were a so so team, but they're like a forty five one team, right? They should be your baseline mm-hmm. with two all stars. Yep. And I guess right now we're looking at like a 41-win team. So maybe it's not that different. But um, I might retract that take. <laughs> this is the <laughs> <laughs> That's where I don't we're know at that as fans. Like we're a, just kind of, I don't know what's going on. Well, okay, does, it's like, it's got to, it's got to put us, it's got to, it's got to make the future way better or the present way better, right? A trade, mm-hmm. eh? You know, and that kind of trade probably doesn't really, it makes us better. It certainly makes us better in the present, but better enough to actually be good? Nah, I don't think so. Yeah. Nah. Nah, we would just be, we're just another team, like, with them. Yeah, and I I think Beal Beal helps in the sense that, okay, our offense at the moment seems to be, for whatever reason, just jacking up shots in ISO and Brad Beal is probably better in, in that sort of format. But but if we continue along those lines and continue to, to run our offense that way, then it doesn't matter who we've got in that position. I, we're not winning shit. So, um, yeah, I think we need to stay the course with Jalen Brown. And look, it's a hypothetical and, and that opportunity isn't presenting itself anytime soon. So, um, so we don't need to spend too much time on that. I, I don't, yeah, and I don't mean to say that they're not, that I think they're bad players. It's just that, like, it just doesn't add up to two All-Stars worth with them together. You know, yep. 
I don't, I'm not trying to assign like moral blame to them for the season, but the reality is they are the two best players on a team that's 500. That means they're just not that, that good right now. You know, they're good, but not that good. And they're so, young, but they're not that young, you know? So it's going to tilt. And like you can see, if, if, we, if, if we have another season like this next year, like heads will roll. Like oh, yeah. they will get traded. You know, you know, it is conclusive at that point, you know, and at that point they've kind of established who they are. So we kind of need to, it's like we need to make a judgment now because if we were going to trade one of them for some sort of future asset, right, we'd have to kind of make that decision now because their trade value is still as good, right, as sure. it would have been. But I guess know? surely the, the one thing with this season, that's why it's hard to pass, you know, an accurate judgment on, on the team and, and the young players we have is, this whole COVID thing is crazy. And we have been one of the more COVID-stricken teams. And, you know, another team that's been uh, riddled with COVID has been the Raptors, who were great last year. And, yeah. you know, a lot of COVID in that team. And as you can see, that their record sort of reflects that. And yes, all teams are in the same position in terms of opportunities to practice and just general proximity to, to one another. But certain teams have been affected more, like literally, by by contracting coronavirus than, than others. And I, I do think the Celtics are one of those teams um, and are clearly showing it. So that that is kind of the difference and why, yeah, like if we have another season like this next year, hopefully that's in a post-COVID world for the most part. Um, and that would, if we did have another season like this, it would be a genuinely bad season because there's less sort of COVID-y, pandemic-y factors influencing that and we'd just be having like sort of a genuinely bad season as opposed to now where it's it's kind of difficult to, to pass that judgment because of all the, the variables and, and things flying around there. Does that make any sense at all? Well, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Hey, we've had COVID, therefore the season hasn't, you know, our players have been affected, therefore our season's gone. It's, it may, like I can make a syllogism out of it. Do mm-hmm. I buy it? Not really. Like <laughs> I sort of feel like everyone's in more or less the same boat in the league. The, yep. the, the Raptors, I mean, they also have the fact that they're – like have been kind of basketball vagabonds for, um, <laughs> you know, coming up 12 months now, right? You know, they haven't played once at home for 12 months. Oh, they got months, that but... Tampa Bay sunshine instead yeah, of the, the, the dreary and coldness of, uh, of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the Raptors one does give me pause because like, to me that's like, I don't watch them really, so I don't know what's happening with their team. But I, like I loved how they played. Like I'm a – Yeah, like, I just Exactly. Think, I think they're great, and I, I, that doesn't make sense to me that they've just fallen off a cliff like the way they have. So if you had to cut all but three players from the Celtics, say it was some sort of deep, deep expansion draft, you can only keep three guys on the team, who are you keeping from this oh, current Celtics it's, team? It's Tatum Smart-Brown. Really? Not Rob Williams instead of Smart? No, nah, Smart's a proven NBA player. Rob Williams is a center. Like, yeah, okay. Rob Williams might be great, but like this, you know, like, what are we expecting for Rob Williams? You know, I think there's a lot of maybe unfair expectations on Rob Williams, given that we're, we're all clutching at, at straws as far as what to be optimistic about. I think the expectations for Rob Williams are, are really, really high among the fan base at the moment. Yeah, and look, he's, you know, what you see from Rob Williams right now might be it, you yeah. know, which is pretty good. Like, he gets lots of deflections and cool dunks and great passes, and he's certainly better than, like, I was wrong about him. I was... um I thought, I thought. I mean, this guy's just going to be a loser, but he's not. He's 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 um he's got some he's got some stuff. That's great. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know if he's like Al Horford, you know, like in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, a guy that that's effectively running the, the pick, and, pick and roll stuff has been run through him. Um, yeah, I, no, I'd, I'd still pick Smart over that, man. Okay. For sure. We're close to wrapping up here, but we haven't talked about Brad Stevens yet. And there are a couple of interesting quotes from after the Mavs game. So John Corrales tweeted this quote from Brad Stevens. Uh, I'm not going to, again, sit up here and talk about what we can do and what we hope to do and all that crap. I've been around good teams and I've been around bad teams and we're very average right now because we don't do it every night. And then Keith Smith also tweeted this quote, reported to Brad Stevens, what are you most satisfied with? Stevens uh, hesitates and the reporter adds, if anything, and Stevens finishes with, if anything, yeah, if anything, that there isn't anything. Um that's maybe one of the first times all season that Brad Stevens has kind of, I won't say gone in on the team, but been a little bit more honest as far as like his disappointments. We suck. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, is Brad Stevens deserving of any of the blame? I mean, we talked about if we have another bad season next year that, you know, heads will roll. Is Brad Stevens potentially one of those heads or do you think he, he's sort of the pillar of stability and if anything, he's the one safe seat? Well, yes, he he absolutely, you know, he he could be. I mean, I I um I have some issues with the way our offense is designed. It's just it, like I've probably always there's always been two issues for me about with the Celtics is like we don't rebound the ball well, right? And we it is often felt to me throughout throughout his tenure like we just shoot. I just don't like the type of threes we get. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a function of coaching. But I also one of the really valuable things about having a coach with safety, and you know, with the backing of the of the front offices, is it just creates accountability, right? Like, just means you can't get away with BS in theory. So I, I like I don't I don't like a reactionary firing of a coach, particularly one who has got some. It's not like Brad Stevens doesn't have runs on the board. He does, you know. Um, so I would err on the side of keeping, certainly err on the side of keeping him because I feel like it maintains organizational stability. Um, and, and basically look, if the organization's strong, right, you get sustained success and, um, and the Celtics have an opportunity to, I mean, Brad Stevens has been awesome for eight years, you know, um, but is, is what he's saying getting through to his team? Clearly not. <laughs> yeah. Clearly not. So at some point, you know, at some point that, that, that can't continue. Yeah, it was interesting. Tatum was interviewed by, I mean, I don't know if you can call it interviewed, but he had a conversation on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith earlier today. And like, I think Stephen A. Smith was basically trying to get Tatum to, to say anything negative about Brad Stevens for, for a headline. And uh, it was really good to see that, that Tatum just wouldn't do it. And he also added that it's not Brad Stevens' responsibility to like rile the team up and inject energy into them. It's, it's his responsibility to uh, prepare a game plan uh, for whatever game and get the team across it. And it's up to the players to go out and hype themselves up and to, to execute that game plan. And like Tatum's point was that Brad Stevens is, is doing a fine job. Like he's not perfect is what he said, but he's doing a really good job of preparing them for the games. It's really on the players uh, for not executing. So um, I don't know. I, my point is that it's good that even at this point, like Tatum, you know, given the opportunity, still isn't going in on Brad or, or really saying anything negative about him at all. So I think that's a really good sign. Yeah, I think Tatum's a genuinely nice guy too. That's what, 
<laughs> like <laughs> it helps. I, you know, like we, it could things could be worse. Hey, you know, things like we could have two really unlikable young stars mm-hmm. as opposed to two slightly ineffective young stars. You know, um, yeah, we could be the Sixers. We could be, yeah. <laughs> Although that Perish would be the thought. Dare I say it? It could be all right at this point in time. I wouldn't <laughs> mind uh, just stealing a few wins from their from their win column. There, we're going to wrap up with this, Joe. Uh, it's a post by Leroy Browntown. Simply is titled "This team is bad for my health," and they go on to say, "I'm not going to read the whole post, but I think we all know what it's going to say. I really don't know what to say anymore. It's truly painful to watch this team play." I'm usually the guy that's pissed about all the negative bullshit getting thrown around on this subreddit, but this is really just ridiculous. There's just too much talent on this team to be bad. We've covered a lot of the why and the how, Joe, but I'm really just interested, and this is a theme we've touched on throughout the life of this podcast, coping mechanisms. Like for <laughs> you, And you said something interesting in our Slack uh, a week or so ago that this is where we earn our stripes as fans totally so i i need to hear this from you joe as much as i'm sure some of the listeners do but like how how are you sort of mentally coping with this you know i think that the watching the celtics play celtic basketball is a source of a lot of happiness for a lot of people especially in these crazy crazy pandemic times how how are you sort of mentally remaining optimistic throughout this part of the the sort of the celtics season well i'm not like optimistic for this season you know like I don't think the season's going to go well, but you still got to you still got to watch, right? Like it's like you know, you they still going to throw the ball up again for the next game, and and anything could happen, right? And it's basketball; it's fun; it's great when it goes well. Um, people lose interest around this around when the teams go bad, right? And then you get to say in five years' time when things are going good, oh, I've been a fan since the days of the five hundred season when Tatum and. Br- Tatum and Brown, they were just young back then. Like, just you want what? What story do you want to be able to tell about the team? You know, like for for me, I mean, my er, part of my early fandom was the really bad years. Um, sort of, um, weird like oh three oh four. That was a horrible season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, that was where after Antoine Walker got traded, and we were like a. We were like a 35 win playoff team, you know? Sure. Like, was that just... lasted a few years, right? Or not well, even we a playoff that, team. We had a kind of good one. 0405 was kind of was quite a fun year. We uh, actually traded back Brantwan in the, in the trade deadline. And That's right. We had Gary yeah. Payton on the team as well. So we had him, Payton, and uh, Prince uh, was also on the team. And we drafted Al Jefferson and Delonte West and Tony Allen. And that was, that was really cool. And then. Oh five, oh six, things went back downhill. Oh six, oh seven was awful because we we were tanking that year. Um, you know, you develop a history with a team, and that's part of the fun. You know, is mm-hmm. is when when the good times come around, as they eventually do, because there's some organizational stability. You know, you, you get to say you were there for the tough times. You know, um, and any game can still be fun. In and of itself, right? Like that Bucks you know? game. Like the Bucks game. Right. Like just enjoy the good games when they come. Hopefully we get more of them than we do get less of them. I think we're going to get less of them than we get more of them this season. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. One thing you said there was that the good times do eventually come around because the Celtics have organizational stability. Um, like, Can you speak more to that? Are the Celtics sort of one of those upper echelon franchises, you know, kind of like the Heat, like the Raptors where... Um, success is inevitable. Do you think that there, there's enough 
good pieces within the front office and the coaching staff that we can we can depend on that. Yeah, um, how many times have we missed the playoffs since the Grasbecks bought the team in yeah, 2003? Good point. Like, uh, we missed them in 05, 06, 06, 07. Um, then again in 13, 14. It's three times in about 20 years that we missed, missed the playoffs. By mm. my, quick, quick count, I might have gotten about something. But, yeah, heck yeah. That's so much better. Man, that's so much better than being the Knicks. <laughs> they have like three good seasons in the last 20 years you know yeah like um yeah the, the good times will come around they will look i think that's a really good point to end on given where we're at in the season uh all right that's gonna do it for this one thank you for tuning in joe really good to have you back on the podcast mate thanks again thanks ben all right we'll be back in another week or so until then go celtics peace peace